Yo, 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 what is up? What is up, YouTube boxing family? It is I, K Rod, here. I'm back with another great YouTube boxing uh, chop session post fight weekend recap for Jojo Diaz versus William Zapata. And we got um, Miss uh, Katie Taylor versus Kara Bajal. Um, and then we'll talk about uh, obviously, well, I'm not going to talk about Jake Paul fight card but i'll uh talk about jake paul in a different you know segment you know just in like a video but either way we got that and then uh what else do we have um uh oh yeah yeah, yeah. we also have like, the lomachenko versus uh jermaine ortiz card right so yeah we have like a lot of talent here um I'll probably go ahead and talk about some of the fights that were on the um, undercard for um, the Jermaine Ortiz and Lomachenko undercard. Uh, yeah, so let's get right into that. And then, well, before I get to that, uh, let me talk about Katie Taylor's performance. Um, I wasn't really too, like, you know, satisfied with her performance. Um, I think Katie Taylor is definitely on the, you know, decline as a fighter. Um, just simply because, um, based off of what she's been doing lately, you know, in her career, um, it seems like that she's going backwards. She's not going forwards um, with, uh, you know, testing herself with good, um, good leveled um, opposition. And I mean, that's just me, though. You know, just uh, highly, highly uh, speculating on the uh, situation. And I think uh, that's a really um, respectable, you know, argument. Because with uh, Katie Taylor as a fighter, um, I would, you know, expect her to have a little bit more clarity in the sport by going up against um, Amanda Serrano in a rematch. Um, I think that would have been like, the better weekend of boxing, not just her fighting some nobody that no one's ever heard of. And uh, people just pretend as if like, oh, well, she's fighting her mandatory in which Katie Taylor, didn't she fight Amanda Serrano in a mandatory defense? Or did she voluntarily defend her titles against Amanda Serrano? Because if that's really to be like the case, uh, then Amanda Serrano was technically her title her title defense um, to begin with. So um, otherwise, like, I think I think Katie Taylor is a duck. I, I think uh, Katie Taylor, she uh, she doesn't want any, you know, any more problems you know with like amanda serrano and i think she's holding that victory to be a thing where she can she can like use that as um leverage to hold her career and i mean that's just me though like i just think amanda serrano she has a lot of you know um she has a lot more um hunger than katie and i think katie understands that having a, having a win over amanda serrano means that she can call herself up the best, but I don't like, I don't think it really means anything, you know, for her other than that, like, you know, she's like afraid of actually running it back with her. Um, because if she was a real champion, I think, I think her and Amanda Serrano should have been, you know, the fight to make, you know, that's just my, you know, honest, like, um, honest, um, opinion on how I see that. And I think that Katie, Katie should have just fought, you know, Amanda, um, you know, on a stack card that would have been really, really very, very um, um, interesting to do. But I think Katie has proven that she she is no longer the, uh, the greatest fighter because 
Um, I don't I don't know too much about her like opponent. I, I haven't seen too much tape on her, but she looked very, very um how should I say she looked very like she looked very um relaxed in there. She looked like she wasn't really wanting to win, and she looked like one of those fighters where she really comes out to just be like I don't know, just basically like a woman that's coming in to just get her check. Um she had the youth over Katie, she was thirty-two years old and you know, honestly, she should have watched her. Um, I was thinking that, you know, her being younger, she would have all these advantages to actually beat Katie. Um, she was like a longer fighter. Um, she had like a way better jab than Katie. Her jab was very, very good early. But I think I think what ended up happening was that she just gave up. She just didn't have any plan B. And she just basically just, you know, acted like nothing was uh, happening in the um event of her wanting to win and i don't think she was hungry enough to be that winner so either way um i think it's pretty disrespectful for women's boxing to be seeing lackluster performances but on top of that i'm just never really like a fan of these you know two minute rounds either because i think that's like the bigger issue um katie katie's comfortable going two minute rounds while you know when we see good heavy loaded matchups of women that should very well get knocked out in the pros you know it, like you know in a three minute level they like i would say let the mass majority of women that that box will agree to say that that two minute rounds does not help you get better in boxing but it's like women train for three minutes like women should not be comfortable fighting for two minute rounds because number one, it doesn't entice up the fans enough to make them say, oh, wow, this girl's really that good. Or like, you know, this lady can knock out this girl if she had like more time. But it's like people don't understand, like, you know, what the um, ramifications of, of uh, going through that, you know, for, uh, for, for like, you know, for um, uh, for um, women's uh, boxing. And I think it's just really stupid because it's just like people people really think that women don't need to fight three minute rounds because it's like people are content with like what women go through but i don't think so i think like to me um i find it really boring i like i find it very you know upsetting that for women like amanda serrano she should have the ability to knock out katie taylor um in a three minute fight i don't think katie taylor does good in three minute like you know in three minute battles because it even shows in a two minute war that she gets into she gets heavily she gets heavily um exhausted in her fights and she's never like um she's never coming in to actually you know be prepared for a tougher tougher battle so it's not like like um she's really going out there really taking like a lot of heavy blows it's just that when she's in a actual fight she's never prepared for that war to really kick in so you know, um, when you look at the situation at hand, um, Kate, Katie, Katie has been comfortable fighting at two minute, like like fighting two minute, you know, battles in boxing or or two minute fights that makes her comfortable to the point where she doesn't need to put in as much work, and she's already expecting the judges to be, you know, in her favor to do like the things that she wants to do. And I think that's why Katie, she's able to get away with these type of weird gifted decisions 
in which I mean, don't get it twisted. Like there are fights where she dominates her like opponents, but it's like you have to look at it from from like a layman's perspective. Like she's getting these type of fights that are basically leveled in her favor because she doesn't want to fight tougher opposition at higher weight classes. So there's a reason why she's keeping herself hostage at 135, kicking it at like what 36 years old or 37 or about to be 37, but it's just like Katie has shown for women's boxing that she's not she's not doing anything good like in a like in a for the sport. I mean, I could go on for days to say like why she should, you know, very well very well move up and wait, but it's like you should very well understand like like you know there's nothing that she could do for boxing that would make women's boxing any better because she's not making the sport any better she's actually pissing off the sport to 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 a all-time low and i mean that's just how i see it because i think katie taylor she she's a very content with what she's doing um i could very well be wrong i think um katie taylor she has like a much better ceiling to fight at 140 and 147 for undisputed titles, but it's like she's not willing to do that. And I mean, there's there's been multiple women that wanted to fight her, and Katie Taylor never wanted to make any mention of them to fight them. Uh, definitely like women like Chantel Cameron, uh, Jessica McCaskill that wanted to get you know a um, rematch. I um, I just think based off of how things have just been structured. Um, there's just too much. Um, uh, uh, um, there's too many questions unanswered of like why she's going the way that she's doing, because she obviously shows that she, that she's not confident in her abilities to fight the best opposition. So that's really like my biggest issue with her. She she's obviously showing that she is not confident of who she is as a fighter to go above and beyond her skill sets to see where she's at but it's like she's very very content because eddie hearn is basically milking her out until she's basically done um is she getting you know the same amount of money that she did with like amanda serrano no she's probably you know content getting paid chump change because i'm pretty sure she's making no more than i like i would probably say maybe three hundred thousand or maybe two hundred thousand dollars at least but it's like you know, with all those sanctioning fees and, you know, all those, you know, promotional fees that she has to pay out to Eddie Hearn, do you really think that she's making all this, you know, crazy, like, amount of uh, money in boxing right now? No, she's not. Like, I mean, people say that she's making at least, like, what, maybe, like, a million, but I don't think so. Um, I don't think she's really touching that type of money because because um, if she was, she would very well um, end up um, retiring by now, but I think... Um, you know, it's now coming to like a point where she's basically able to do what she needs to do right now. And she's basically just robbing, you know, with the bank because she's able to do it because she just wants to get away with what she can do now in boxing. If that makes sense. But I think Katie, um, she, she would have like a much better career if she just moved up in weight and she just fought, you know, all the best fights have best fights to make. So now with this victory, like, what does this do for her career? It's just basically her to get like a, like, you know, her to get a um, easy money grab with like, the fights that she does take. But it's like for her to keep the belt hostage at a uh, 135, I think it's just like a bad look on her. 
But on top of that, for her to not, you know, move forward with um, fighting um, Amanda Serrano um, immediately in, in a uh, rematch, especially um, um, in the UK, I think that's just very disrespectful on her end because she knows that she's not that good. Um, she knows that um, Amanda Serrano is a very difficult style matchup, and, and I don't think that she's that she's confident in what she believes herself to be as a you know quote unquote female pound for pound fighter. I don't think she's pound for pound worth of shit. Um, I think Katie Taylor, she's way past her prime. She's definitely not getting any better, and I think it's only going to show when somebody comes in there to knock her out with bad intentions. Um, does she have skills? Yeah, she has skills, but you know, when you scale it at the highest, you know, maximum, I don't see Katie Taylor doing anything sp spectacular. She she's basically equivalent to Vasil Lomachenko, but she, she she gets worse every time when she fights because she's fighting to the level of her competition. Um, granted, with you know, with like Amanda Serrano's case, like I even sometimes criticize her of like, uh, like, um, why isn't she taking risks to go after women at bigger weights? But you know, she's you know, she's a naturally smaller fighter to begin with, versus with Katie, she she's a naturally bigger fighter. And for her to get beat up by Amanda Serrano the way she did, um, um, on my birthday at the at the uh, Madison Square Garden, um. I just find it insane that people really do think that she's not, you know, never needed to ever move up and wait and actually challenge the bigger fish that are in other divisions. But when it comes to like, you know, to her division exclusively, she's okay at staying in her division and just making all these worthless F and title defenses that don't mean shit because it's like, you've already cleaned everybody out. Like what's like, like, what else is there to fucking prove if you're undisputed and you've had over like what? Like I'll take a look at her box rec right now, but she's probably had over like what eight, nine title like like a like a title defenses. But it's like that's not helping you financially as a fighter. But you know when we look at how you move and how you run as a fighter, like you're obviously showing that you're not that good of a fucking fighter. But yeah, she's 36 years old. Um, I think she's about to be 37. But let's take a look at all the titles that she's had. She won the WBA lightweight title against um, Anaya Sanchez. That was in a 10-round decision. Um, she, she, she beat her. And then after that, uh, she decided to go ahead and fight uh, Jessica McCaskill in her very first, uh, first uh, title defense. And then she beat uh, Victoria Bustos when she unified the the uh, title for her um, IBF belt. And then after that, she fought Kimberly Connor. Um, she wasn't that good of a fighter herself. She she was she was really not that good, and she got smoked in three rounds. Um, she's okay, but she's she was really never like the best out there. Um, but yeah, she beat her up. She beat up Cindy Serrano. And she beat Eva Wallstrom. These are all title defenses, by the way, when she was unified. And then after that, she unified with uh, Rosa Volante for the WBO championship. And then she beat Delphine Pursun for Undisputed uh, back in 2019. And then 
After that, she moved up in weight to become a super lightweight champion against Christina Lena Darto, in which um, she had a tough time beating her, but she definitely, you know, got the job done, which I gave her credit for that. And then you go right back down to lightweight, two-faced Delphine Pursun, which she should have arguably lost both of these fights. The first fight was extremely close, and the second fight was like a toss-up, but still, like, she showed a lot more holes in the first fight compared to the second fight. But I think both of those fights, she uh, um, she should have taken L's. Um, the Miriam Gutierrez fight, she did a very great job. Um, and then she fought Natasha Jonas, which I truly like. I truly believe that that Natasha Jonas defeated her. Um, I didn't see her really winning that many rounds. Natasha showed way more separation than, than Katie did. But um, after that, uh, she basically um, had that one fight with um, Amanda Serrano, which I thought she won. Um, she um, she beat um, Katie Taylor. But after that, that's pretty much it. I mean, she defended her undisputed crowns. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, and eight. So she defended her title eight times, and she never decided to ever move up and wait and try to become a two-division undisputed world champion. But here's my suggestion. Um, I'm pretty sure if anybody from her camp is watching, if you want to consider yourself to be the best fighter, how about you go after, you know, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get people pissed off, but like, why not go after Clarissa Shields? Like, If you're the ultimate badass just beating up on women that never really had too much clarity you know in boxing to begin with anyway go after a woman like you know clarissa shields at like at least like you know that's like a way better you know achievement to move up like at least you know three weight divisions technically to go beat her like why not or actually no she would have to move up four weight classes but still like like you know, it, like, like, um, if I was in Katie Taylor's shoes, I think what should end up happening is that she could come in at 155 or 150, and then Clarissa, she could fight her, you know, at a catch weight, hopefully, because, um, you know, it's at 160, but you could have it set at like the lowest weight possible, where, you know, like, um, um, it's at like 155 or 152. I don't know, but. I mean, even though, like, you know, it has to be, like, above but the super welterweight limit, but uh, but it's, like, Katie Katie is already, like, a big woman to begin with. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but, you know, in, in my own views of, like, how I would manage that, like, that, that fight, I would say, Katie, you could come in at 150 or 155 on the dot, but Clarissa, she would have to cut down to at least, like, 155 at least and if she wants to come in at 160 um i mean both of them are going to basically rehydrate really big so it's not like clarissa is going to have any advantage over katie yeah she like she's going to be taller and, and way faster than katie but it's like kate katie katie knows like damn well that clarissa has way better you know agile you know physical attributes compared to katie but it's like that's a really good fight because it's like either way kate katie katie will come into the coming to the fight heavy and she's not going to be as quick on her feet compared to compared to what she does now at lightweight but if i'm in that position why not 
have them meet each other at a catchweight. And I think that's what, like, you know, I think that's what should happen. I think this is uh, the best fight to be made for women's boxing. Because um, even if, like, 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 even if, like, Amanda Serrano, if she continues to get more wins, and let's just say if she beats, um, um, who's that one chick? If she beats um, Erica Cruz for um, 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 Undisputed, then what will probably end up happening is that she wants to probably go after Katie Taylor, try to get that rematch, beat her up, or you know potentially beat her. And then if she beats Katie, then what will end up happening is that um, I think she should face uh, the winner between um, you know uh, um, Alicia Baumgartner and Queen Michoy. So I think that's a very good marketability strategy that um, Amanda could definitely take advantage of because it's not like she's really losing you know um at all because it's like she like you know she's gonna get really rich off of those fights because she's now a very big draw so either way i think um i think that's what should end up happening um some other idiots would say you know amanda serrano would like like uh, she should end up fighting clarissa shields but you know here's up the thing like amanda serrano is not a very big big person um no disrespect to the queen <laughs> but either way um her and clarissa are friends but on top of that you know she's not gonna bloat herself all the way up to middleweight to go fight clarissa which i don't see that fight making any sense because what will they ever do for each other other than just have amanda come in super heavy and she's really not that big of a person like 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 um you're basically saying for her to pack up all that weight to go all the way up to middleweight and then come back down to whatever weight that she's able to go back down to. And I don't think that's a good idea because number one, Clarissa and Amanda, yes, they will make money, but but here's what the problem. Clarissa and Amanda, they, they don't gain anything out of it other than, okay, they're going to go at it, but then after that, it's like, you know, it's going to end up being a fight where Clarissa is going to end up winning the exchanges because she is a much bigger. Um, she's not like a bigger puncher, but she has more. She has more uh, like you know kick in her shots where she's able to push back Amanda with her punches and and knowing that Amanda she's a very destructive southpaw um, in which Clarissa she she's probably heavily trained on you know managing southpaws, but still having having amanda serrano fight someone that's going to come in way bigger than her on fight night because clarissa she's going to rehydrate to at least like i probably say 175 or 180 but it's like people people really think that's a good fight and it's like that's not a good fight you have to think about the sacrifices that you have to make weight cut wise leading up to the fight because if you can't rehydrate that well to a big size where both fighters are, are able to take enough punishment and actually do the things that they want to do naturally of their skill set, then it doesn't really help nobody because Clarissa, she she's going to come in big like she's on some Shaquille O'Neal business. No disrespect. <laughs> but so it's like that fight doesn't make any damn sense. But um, I guess as far as like other options for Amanda, like some people would say like fight jessica mccaskill i think i think that's a good fight but the thing of uh, but the problem with that is that jessica she she's you know she's a borderline 
you know, welterweight, super welterweight fighter. So she's a very big, big woman herself, or she's like, she has like a lot more size over um, Amanda and Amanda. She, she did fight at 140 at one point and uh, she, she was champion at that time frame, but still, it's just like, I don't like, I don't see like her really scaling that well into that weight cut. Um, I'm not saying that's not a good fight. And, you know, I'm for, you know, her ducking, you know, Jessica, it's not like she's like, I don't, I don't think a man is afraid of anyone. But the thing is, is that you have to think about the weight discrepancy of what fighters will go through after, like before and after their weight cuts leading up to the fight night. And even with like Clarissa and Amanda, like, you know, I'm not using the excuse to say like, oh, they're friends, they can't fight. Like, no, like, like friends can fight each other if they want to. But the issue is, is that you have to think about the sacrifices that you would do between you and your friend if you guys are in two different avenues. And, you know, you, like, you know, y'all are never going to see each other in the ring. So that's pretty much how I see it. Um, Amanda, she she's better conquering lower weight classes. And I think one, like I think from 126 all the way up to 135 is her weight. Um, definitely not 140 and above. I think I think there's just too much weight discrepancy with like, the women that try to rehydrate so much at those weight classes. Because even with like women like Chantel Cameron, um, Jessica McCaskill, Sandy Ryan, all those chicks, I think most of them just blowed up to become like middleweights. And shit, um, we already saw it with like Miriam Gutierrez, like you know when she fought Amanda, like. Amanda was like pushing her back and she was crushing her, but still, like Gu Gutierrez came in at like what? She came in at like 160 something. So she she basically fought like a middleweight slash, you know, super middleweight, you know, with all that weight and, and all that pressure onto her. Like Amanda, she she only rehydrated to like I think like I think like 138 or 140. Like, I mean the fight was at lightweight, but still. Like she, she didn't even rehydrate that much. I'm pretty sure she, she probably lost more weight rather than gaining weight. But you could easily see Amanda being like a very small lady, and Miriam, she, she was coming in like, you know, like the um, Incredible Hulk. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you know, that's just you know the, the cold hard truth. It's just that you can't, you know, make a woman try to go up, go up three four weight classes higher or at least like a weight class for two higher because of the weight discrepancy is gonna kick in but as far as that goes with the katie taylor card i wasn't impressed man the, uh, the undercard you know was trash um i mean you know credit to Kiko martinez stopping jordan gill he was a garbage ass fighter to begin with anyway and i don't see jordan gill doing anything right for his career but um that was just not a good fight and that was just a horrible style matchup so either way um i think uh you know how everything will go for kigo's career even though he's on the final days of his career um i think he should very well just go ahead and just keep on winning you know good for you um keep keep doing keep doing your thing and uh you know um rock on old man um i'm not too high up on spaniard fighters um not trying to be rude. I just don't think Spaniard fighters are really that good for what they say that they are. And um, not a lot of them get a lot of experience in their career. So I think that's the biggest problem with them. 
but with uh Kiko's case he um he is a like he is a former world champion so I will give him his credit um as a fighter um he he is skilled he has a lot of great um attributes as a fighter I think the biggest problem with him is that he's extremely flat-footed and he doesn't have um the um uh, the like ability to to do the things that he wants to do as a fighter so that's pretty much not the biggest problem that i have you know for him um i think uh like you know when you look at you know the size differential that he has with his opponents he 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 is a he is a pretty heavy feather like you know featherweight fighter um he should be fighting at bigger weights but either way um I just think where he's at right now, um, there's just a lot more climbing that he had to go through to be somewhat successful. Because Kiko, he um, he has a stack resume. He obviously got stopped by uh, what Gary um, Gary Russell, but um, after that, um, he's been he's been getting high quality victories. Um, I think I think he's definitely a, a, a very good dark horse in the division um he obviously got stopped in five out of his um 11 defeats um he got stopped by warrington he got um he got stopped by gary russell and then he got stopped by leo santa cruz which uh <laughs> that was um very surprising leo santa cruz beat the living crap out of him and then Scott Quigg, yep, um, I um, I remember that he got he got washed in that fight, but yeah, uh, Kiko Kiko has a great resume. He he's a two division world champion. He won a belt at Super Bantamweight through the IBF, and then obviously he got uh, defeated at um you know at um featherweight a couple times for world title shots. But he is a champion in two two divisions. He got the um, the IBF title through the featherweight division when he beat Kid Galahad, and then you know he uh, then beat you know um, I forgot who he beat for the super bantamweight title. Oh, he beat Jeffrey Mathubala. Um, yep. Oh, oh, wait, actually no, he uh, knocked out Jonathan uh, Romero, who was um, undefeated at the time. But uh, yeah, that was a good, decent fight. Uh, not really the best fighter out there, but. He was okay, but either way, um, Kiko has a good resume. He's not, you know, he's not a bum, but he's borderline gatekeeper. Um, I just think like where he's at right now, um, he's in a good spot. Uh, I don't know how much longer he's planning on staying in the division, but I um, I won't be surprised that they put him in there. You know, anybody from any other promotional company, like. Um, <coughs> I'd probably say maybe like, oh, oh man, I'm sorry. I think a guy like Ruben Villa would be a very good fight. Um, I think I think he would get stopped by Mauricio Lara. Um, I would definitely keep Lara away from uh, from Kiko Martinez. Uh, but hey, if Kiko's willing to take on take on like, the dangerous fighter and Lara, by all means, go for it. Um, I'm down for like a Michael Conlon fight. Uh, that's a great ass fight, by the way. Um, a lot of people, you know, probably think it's not, but I think it is. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward for a fight like that. Um, Kiko can face Joette Gonzalez. Um, I think that's a 
perfect style matchup, you know, for both of them. Um, he could also face a guy like um Lee Wood. You know, he said um that he wants Lee Wood. He's not that much younger than uh, Kiko. He's only 34, so it's like he got the WBA regular title. So, yeah, you know, go go after that guy. I think I think that's a great style matchup, uh, simply due to the fact that that uh, both both fighters got power, but um, they definitely lack a lot of, you know, uh, they lack a lot of defense. So that that would be a fight that's very um, how should I say? Um, it's gonna be like a 50-50 matchup. So, either way, uh, I think I think Kiko, he's um, he's definitely on his last legs in the division, but um, he's just gonna keep racking up more, you know, more victories. So, it's gonna be interesting to see where he's at for the rest of his career. But yeah, let's move forward with uh, the rest of the card. Um, I'll go with the uh, Diaz and Zapata card. Um, I only have like a couple fights that I'm going to talk about here. Um, let's talk about, uh, the, the, uh, men's fight between Hector Valdez and Max Ornelas. Um, I thought Valdez could have lost this fight. Um, I'm only saying that because I think Valdez, he's a little bit too, um, overhyped with what he is going through, but. I think he's being matched up extremely tough to a, to a like you know to a great position. But the problem that I have with Valdez is that he's not he's not showing any separation and and skill set to make me think he's going to be coming in here and just dominating everybody. Um, as far as where he wants to be um, in the division, I think where things will go. For his career, when he wants the title, or when he does get the title opportunity, is that he's probably going to get matched up with a guy like Aaron Almeida. Um, I think he's a very dangerous test. He's a good ass southpaw. He has a he has a decent power, but that's a very good fight. Um, I think another good fight would be against. Um, I probably say. Um, like, like I probably say, um, um, Aza, um, Hovenizian. I think Hovenizian has proven himself to be a very great fighter. Um, he's lost to basically, uh, world championship level fighters. Um, well, he, um, he only lost to like one world champion and, or former world champion or current world champion and Ray Vargas. So, um, um, Hovenizian is a very, you know, great talent. So I think that, I think that's the perfect fight. For Valdez to go after, especially when you want to go after, you know, opposition that's fought for like a world title. And, um, you know, you could prove to let the world that you're here, you know, with up the top 25s or top 10s. So, yeah, go after like a top 10 or a top 15 guy. Um, another great fight would be um, definitely Takuma Inoue. Uh, I don't know if this is Naoya Inoue's brother. I think it is, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think this is Inoue's brother. But yeah, go after him. Beat you know, beat his ass up. You know, go go after him. He's gonna have like a ten rounder against some guy named Jake Bornea. But yeah, go after um, Inoue. Beat beat him up. That that's a good fight. 
Um, another good fight for the for his career would be um, oh man, man, there's a lot of like I don't I don't know too much of these guys, but like a lot of the tough opposition is like some Americans and then maybe a couple Filipinos and then some Japanese dudes. But another great fight that he should go after is um, Carlos Castro. And here's why. If he could beat Carlos Castro, then what's going to end up happening is that Raiz Alim, he's probably going to be set up to face another title eliminator, which I don't know who it would be, but I think it's going to be Luis Neri. And my whole take on that is that Luis Neri, he's like he's already in position to get to get his WBC title shot soon. But knowing that he had like a third round TKO victory over uh, David Carmona, I think what's going to happen is that PBC is going to call him up and then he's going to be set up to face against uh, Raiz Alim. And if Alim, if he gets past Neri, which I think he would, I think what's going to happen is that Neri, he's going to lose, and he's probably going to probably end up facing probably, you know, a guy like Hector Valdez. Because if Valdez, if he says, hey, look, I want to go after all, like, you know, all the top opposition, give me a guy like Luis Neri, I think that's the perfect, perfect um, opponent for Hector Valdez because his style favors, um, you know, um, his style favors Luis Neri style. But if Hector is able to land those good punches on Neri, where he 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 ended up falling to the body by uh, Brandon Figueroa's pressure to the body, um, I think I think Valdez can you know can barely edge out the victory. But that's going to be a very very difficult fight. So I don't think that fight is is ever going to be anywhere different of like where we're going to see you now the fight going you know uh, going on in a different direction but another good fight that i would like to see is um elijah pierce um he's a very very good fighter himself and he, he's gonna go up against some old ass veteran that i don't know who his name is his name is herman ivan Moraz, but yeah he's had over like <laughs> had over like 133 fights but yeah um it's gonna you know it's gonna be interesting to see what super bantamweight's gonna be but i think i think elijah pierce would be like the perfect opponent for hector valdez he's a southpaw so i think that's a great southpaw for good southpaw experience and valdez you know he's a dog you know he he, he has a lot of power he knows how to set up his shots correctly but the problem that I'm having with him is that he he has a defensive ring IQ issue, and if he gets hit by some heavy loaded punchers, um, I think that's going to be the biggest problem out of what I'm seeing with his career. But I think I think sooner than later he's going to have to get it you know get it together. It's not like he's trash. I think he has skills, but we have to see him in there with all the top level oppositional names. But Hector Valdez, he has a lot of time. Um, I think it's time to just, you know, definitely give him these tougher fights now and then just keep on moving forward. So shout, shout out to Hector Valdez. Keep getting better. And hopefully we can see better progression heading into a world title. But he's definitely on, on like he's definitely um, on the high horse right now to going into the right direction. Um, But 
On top of that, let's talk about the, the women's fight between Arely Moncino versus Leonila Utica. Um, this was a very tough fight to call, but if this was like a 12-round, three-minute fight, I think Utica would have had the edge to beat her. But, um, yeah, this is a very difficult fight. Um, I think the problem with this fight was that this was not a three-minute fight for me to see who was at the better fighter. Because Arely Moncino, like, I love her a lot. She's a very, very great fighter. Um, much love and uh, respect to her. She, She's, you know, she's a goat. She's definitely one of the best Mexican female fighters out there. But she's definitely, you know, you know, in the monikers of being a heavy-loaded veteran. Um, she, she was obviously heavily known of getting knocked out by Ava Knight back in the day where she uh, stopped her in two rounds for the IBF flyweight title. But, um, yeah, after that, uh, she uh, basically moved forward with her career. And she actually had a split decision loss with Mariana Juarez in the past, which um, I actually thought Musina could have won this fight, in which uh, Juarez, um, she she was giving Musina like one of the uh, – like she was giving Musina a absolute war – but I thought Moncino actually came back really good in this fight, despite the knockdown in round two. But I actually thought she she arguably beat Mariana. Um, I didn't I didn't think Mariana had the advantages over her. I think I think Moncino did enough to win. But you know, again, if these female you know championship fights were twelve round three minute fights, I think I think more women would break down more in their fights where you wouldn't be seeing. Um, a lot of progression out of them um, late game and all these punches that they're throwing would not be thrown right away. I think, I think more women would be more mindful of being careful with like what they throw in a fight, but um, either way, uh, Monsino, she, she's heavily loaded. She was a, she was a former world champion at flyweight. Um, she was supposed to become unified at one point um, or she was supposed to fight for, well, she was supposed to have her opportunity to potentially be unified when she fought uh, Susie Kentikian or Kentikian, um, Contention or Kenneth, yeah, Kentikian. Um, she she was like one of the you know highly touted uh, German Armenian uh, Armenian based female fighters out of Germany, right? Uh, she had the WIBA or WIBF title. Yep, she 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 had the um, IBF uh, championship at flyweight. She had the WBA, and she had the um, she had the WBO. So uh, um, what ended up happening was that she she had a headbutt injury that ended the fight early in round three. That ended up becoming like a no contest. So after that, uh, that basically just ended up being a uh, bad fight, you know, from the beginning that should have been, you know, put, put into her victory. Um, I think, I think if that fight had continued or, or if there wasn't no headbutt to begin with, I think, I think, um, Arely Muncino would have, you know, probably had been unified and shit. Honestly, I think at that point that would have opened up, let the door for her to become potentially undisputed, uh, within, less than 10 fights because literally she she was like eight and oh or nine and oh at that time and she she was she she barely had any experience at a world title level but 
she did her thing you know she 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 had she had the ability to you know make make fights competitive and she she uh, she took risk so uh that was a very good move by her um very very you know good fighter and she did her thing man you know much love and respect to her but um ever since then she won the ibf you know flyweight title after that fight with Susie Ken kentikian um she beat Chantel cordova who was a uh, pretty decent at you know at her time she didn't have too much of like a career she uh you know obviously lost to uh you know Arelli. she she uh ended up stopping her but um after that um you know her her career wasn't really doing much but yeah she she uh she was okay <laughs> but after that uh she won the ibf belt she defended it like what like three four times yeah she she defended it like three times and then she ended up losing to ava knight and two and then she decided to pick up the wba interim flyweight title in a very close split decision victory against uh, melissa mcmorrow um in which that gave her the mandatory title title opportunity against uh, maria juarez in which i thought she won that fight but she still lost but then after that she then decided to you know keep on going and uh she uh moved down to like i think like 108 at, at one point but yeah either way uh, she she had that very uh close uh split draw with Jessica Chavez she she's a beast herself but that was a great fight but then after that uh she decided to go up and down and wait and then she lost to Jessica Chavez again for the flyweight title for the WBC and um oh uh she actually did beat Shindo though um that's that Japanese lady that fought in the past but yeah she beat her in 2014 as of uh, December 6th of that year so she won the WBC flyweight championship against her and then she lost to Jessica Chavez in a rematch and then after that uh she then decided to just keep on getting good victories and then after that she won the wbo title back in 2018 against uh Montserrat alacron uh she beat her and then she defended it against uh, maria salinas and then she beat yarenef atuve um and then after that uh i don't know what happened i think she took a two-year layoff in which i think it was probably due to injury because she she did say that she was injured or i think COVID happened and then she wasn't able to do what she wanted to do um she obviously had that puerto rican you know venue fight on the um amanda serrano uh daniela bermudez card she fought that lucia hernandez lady and uh she she did a good job against her she she beat her and um yeah you know she she's she's just kicking ass you know i like i wasn't like a fan of her face and a uh, seven seven and ten mexican female fighter but i think i think uh you know that was just more of like a stay busy fight but either way like it it, it should have been some veteran level fighter that should have been in there with her and then with jackie caldwell i actually thought she lost this fight because uh she got dropped in the ninth round and i think like honestly if that was like a three minute fight uh i think she could have been stopped in this fight but Jackie, she's a beast. Um, she she's she hasn't had like the greatest career, um, like you know, prior to that prior to that loss. But 
well, prior to any of her losses, I mean, her most notable fight that she ended up losing was against Mariana's sister, which I actually thought she she won that fight on top of the Susie Candy Sandoval fight too, because it's like Sandoval she she's not that good of a fighter, but she she's like basically the journeyman Salido of you know women's boxing, which I don't want to say that because you know Orlando Salido at least he was a world champion, but he wasn't he wasn't like no world beater, but either way she she lost to a low level journeyman, which I thought she won that fight. Um, same thing against with uh, Lourdes Suarez and Yesesina Gomez, which these are very difficult fights to call because I actually thought, it, like, I literally thought in all four of these fights, her record would be like a lot better. Like she wouldn't be having like seven losses. And then despite that knockout loss to Edna Maltos, which I, um, I was very, um, I was very surprised that, that she lost to a woman like her, but even though uh, I don't know what was up the whole deal with that fight, but but I'm going to take a look at it one day. But yeah, uh, I'm just surprised, you know. Like uh, Jack Jackie, she she's a very very good fighter. Don't like uh, don't get it twisted. Like she she um she she's had very very great careers, or she she had very great career de- career defining fights. But I think what the problem was was that. Um, she she wasn't able to get the opportunities that she wanted and get the results that she wanted. So that's pretty much like my biggest issue of like how she was treated as a fighter. Because if she had beat Lourdes Suarez and she beat uh, Yesesina Gomez, I think um, what would ended up happening is that she she would have scaled a lot higher in her career and. Um, I think it would have been like a very good, you know, resume to have with all these like losses that should have been victories. Um, like I think Musino, you know, loss should have should have been should have been a victory, uh, you know, with that knockdown because a lot of those rounds that that were close could have been her rounds to, to win. And I think you know, even in a three minute fight, if you were to the if you were to determine that out of a ten rounder. Um, she would be the victor out of most of those rounds. But either way, I would definitely score that to be like a 6-4, like, you know, close split decision victory. But, you know, that's just how, you know, how I would see it. But, um, yeah, either way, uh, you know, there's just like a, like, like, Aureli Monsino's, you know, resume is heavily stacked. She She's definitely in there with all the good, um, good level opposition as far as this fight with Utica, um this is a very tough fight to to call um she had that bad cut or that bad swollen eye that was uh caused by a headbutt in round two so uh that that was a really you know bad you know bump that she had you know on her eye that definitely caused her to not perform as good you know in the fight so I don't know. Like, I think either way, Aureli, she's a good fighter. Um, she just got to work more on defense and and uh, just be careful. That's all. Because uh, she, she does get hit a lot. And uh, I definitely love watching her fight. But um, her defense would definitely scale a, a lot better if she improved it more. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where she's at because she's been at flyweight. 
basically her whole entire career. So now do we get to see her unify with the rest of the champions, which we got Marlon Esparza. We now have her. And then don't forget, we got Kenny Enrica. She had a, um, I want to say she beat her opponent, Nora Cardosa. So not too sure how that fight went down, but um, hopefully we get to see Kenya in the ring with um, any of those girls. Cause I think she's a, you know, I think she's a very skilled fighter and uh, you, you know, I got, I got to give the queen her, you know, her credibility. So much respect to Kenya. I, I hope everything is uh, getting better with her. But um, the other champions in the division, we got uh, Gabrielle Celeste Alanis. She is the IBF uh, flyweight, or no, WBO flyweight world champion. And then for the WBC and the WBA, I think that's Marlon Esparza. That is a unified champion, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, she is. So there's two more ladies on that list for Marlon if she wants to go for Undisputed. And I think it would be best for Marlon to go after either of those girls. Uh, Gabriela Celeste Alanis, she, she's a very uh, decent boxer puncher. Um, she's not too much of a big puncher, but she definitely knows how to hit when she sees you at the right position to take you down. So maybe if Marlon, if she wants to take that tough fight out of the way, I think her and uh, Areli Muncino should unify first, and then the winner should go after Marlon, or Marlon should go after either one of those ladies, and then the last lady, you know, out of that mix should just wait for the winner. So, yeah, that's pretty much it with that. Uh, it's not bad, but it's just that, you know, it's just like a food for thought. That's basically what I'm, you know, implying. But let's talk about the main event, and we'll move forward with the... Lomachenko card. Oh, and then I'll talk about the Jake Paul card. Um, That's a card that I wanted to touch base on a little bit. I don't have too much to say on every single fight. I'm not going to talk about the Jake Paul Anderson Silva fight. Uh, That was a very, you know, okay fight, but Jake Paul shouldn't have been in there with Anderson Silva. That that was a very boring fight, um, to say the least. I mean, Anderson Silva, like, I respect them, you know, a lot, and I'm never going to disrespect them as a fighter. But but I will, I will credit like like I will never give respect to Jake Paul fighting Anderson Silva for the sake of, you know, the fact that Anderson Silva did not deserve to be in the ring with Jake. And if it was like him versus like I don't know, let's just say some other old veteran that was in the ring with him, then I would definitely respect that. But Jake Jake Paul getting a win over Silva did not do anything better for his career, and he didn't look any better. But th- that's very much you know like my whole take on that. Um, also, shout out to Shadeja Green defeating Oglatus Suarez. Um, I think Suarez was just not in the right mindset. Uh, I think I think you know this fight, knowing that it was at like what like one seventy five, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, these ladies were, like, super huge coming in at, like, what, heavyweight? Um, Like, you know, that's, like, the heavyweight limit for females for heavyweight boxing. But um, um, either way, uh, Suarez is a very good fighter. She she was, um, I believe, a world champion at one point, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she she won the WBA featherweight title against uh, Liliana Palmera, and then she lost to... uh, 
Edith Soledad Matista. She's the, I think she's a half sister or, um, I want to say she's sisters with Lucas Matisse, but if anybody knows more information on that, let me know. But yeah, Matisse, very great fighter. Obviously, not at her best anymore because she's she she was you know a fighter past her prime now. Yeah, she obviously lost to Alicia Baumgartner, which she came in overweight in that fight. But either way, um, she she's definitely past her prime, and she definitely needs to hang it up. <laughs> Um, I love Matisse, but I can't, I can't, I can't see her fight no more. <laughs> um, but yeah, same thing with Oglatus for she, she's way past her prime. She, she looked like she was taking too much punishment and something wasn't, wasn't right coming in to the fifth round. So either way, good victory for Shadeja Green. Just keep on getting more, you know, getting more, um, experience. Um, I like to see her in there with Franchon Cruz. I think that's a very good fight to have. I think her and Franchon Cruz would make a very good style matchup. And uh, if she could beat Franchon Cruz, um, that's a very great win simply due to the fact that you have a lot more uh, eyes on you if you actually beat her. And then on top of that, you could probably go ahead and maybe face uh, Clarissa Shields, which... I think that's a very, very good fight, especially if Clarissa, she wants to get it going with a, you know, with a bonafide boxer puncher like, um, you know, Shadeja Green. So maybe if anybody from her team is watching, maybe consider those fights. I'm pretty sure she got her eyes on either one of them. So, yeah, go for it. Keep getting better. Uh, Shadeja Green, she definitely shined with a great performance. And, uh, Definitely, um, um, I'm definitely liking that PBC is now in competition with uh, women's boxing, you know, being on their platform. And I think what PBC or Showtime needs to do, they need to start putting women on an undercard because women can sell if you put it on a good card. Um, if you put women on a really bad card where nobody's not going to really watch it. Um, then I think that's not that's what's not helping women's boxing grow, and I think it's a really bad move or a bad decision making for women's boxing to you know go backwards instead of you know actually going forward. All right, so let's move forward with the main event. Uh, the co-main event I wasn't too uh, interested in Alexis Roca versus Jesus Antonio Perez. This fight was absolute garbage. Uh, Roca, he's an okay fighter, man, but. He's going to get knocked out in the welterweight division. Uh, <laughs> Roca is way too limited. Um, I think he has a way better scaling than Virgil Ortiz. Don't get it twisted. Um, he's a very deadly southpaw, and I'm not counting out his power. But after the knockout of Blair Cobbs, you basically ended up going two 10-round decisions against two lesser-known fighters. And... You know, like, uh, no disrespect to Roca because I'm pretty sure he wants all the smoke at welterweight. But these are basically fights that you had against guys that are not doing anything good for the uh, division. So I think I think what Roca needs to do, he needs to start being more vocal of fighting a guy like, you know, um, Amantas Daniones. Um, definitely go after Connor Ben because you know Connor Ben, he's probably going to end up coming over here to the States because he had his UK boxing license, you know, 
uh, taken away. Well, he basically gave it up. Uh, the uh, British Board of Boxing Control did not actually force him to uh, give it up. But either way, uh, I think what's going to end up happening for Ben, he's um, he's basically just going to have to come over here to the States to finish up his career or t to continue his boxing career. So I think that's going to be like, the fight that I'm probably going to end up seeing or that should be the fight that should happen because Conor Ben is a top 10 welterweight. But yeah, him and him and Roca, that's a very, very good fight. Or what Alexis Roca could do, he should face a guy like Radzai Butaev. Uh, Butaev is a very, very great opponent, very hard, destructive puncher, um, inside pressure fighting, you know, Soviet style Russian fighter. Um, that's a very, very destructive matchup for Alexis Roca. And I think that will bring the best out of him of what he could do as a fighter. Or if he wants, he could fight Amanta Stanionis. Stanionis is a very destructive fighter. Um, come forward, Soviet style, Eastern European fighting style. Um, very, very destructive. Has a lot of power in both hands. And he knows how to break you down and rip your soul, you know, in a fight. So that's a very good fight to have. Um, I'm not too sure about Jerron Ennis. I think Jerron Ennis will cook Alexis Roca. I think he would absolutely just dog walk him and destroy him because he has a very destructive shot from a southpaw position. And Boots, he has high ring IQ, and I don't see Roca keeping up with a guy like Boots. Um, your Dennis Ugas is a very good fight. Um, I think Ugas, if he's looking for like a tune up or a skill, you know, level fight. I think Roca would be the best opponent for your Dennis Ugas. But those are my little takes on those potential matchups. Oh, also, definitely run it back with um, Rashidi Ellis. I think, I think you know, if he really wants to, like, prove he's good, at least have, like, a rematch of them, at least get a, a couple more good high-quality victories, and then, you know, have a rematch, you know, back at it with them. I think he would beat the living crap out of them, but still. Um, you know, Rashidi Ellis, he's been out of the ring for, what, damn near three months now um he needs to get his career <laughs> back on track i don't know what he's doing right now but i'm pretty sure uh he's probably gonna get back into the ring soon um i would like to see him back in the ring right now but i'm pretty sure he's you know he's working something out like i think i think he's gonna get his fight date soon and then you know we're gonna be shocked of who he's actually gonna be fighting if he um if he fights jaron ennis and out of nowhere he just ends up doing some crazy stuff where you know, he says, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to knock out Boots. I'm going to, like, you know, I'm going to beat him up. You know, he ain't going to beat me. Then I'm going to be looking at Rashidi funny. But either way, um, I think I think Rashidi Ellis is, you know, he um, he's a good-ass fighter, man. But I think where he should end up going in the terms of the PBC route, um, he should face a guy like um, Cody Crowley. I think Cody Crowley is, like, the perfect opponent to just beat his ass and just move forward you know what i'm saying like i think cody crowley is that great opponent for him but yeah we'll find out man the welterweight division is on fire and people may say it's not the it, uh, it's not the deepest division of boxing no it is people people don't want to be honest about the welterweight division the welterweight division is one of the most destructive divisions in boxing and not a lot of people want to be honest about that because not a lot of welterweights are mixing it up right now because they're trying to use up the politics to carefully move their careers. But eventually, um, you're going to see a, um, a lot more losses when you see these guys, you know, mix it up more. But yeah, 
that's my thoughts about uh alexis roca's performance it was a good 7.5 out of 10 performance he did a good job but he just needs to continue getting better um but yeah let's move forward with the main event uh william zapata versus jojo diaz um I thought Jojo Diaz could have done more to win this fight, but it seems like he like either he doesn't have it anymore or he just didn't do what he was supposed to do in the fight. Um I think Zapata, he's a great fighter. Um he just needs to keep on progressing more as a fighter. Um I think uh where he's at now at lightweight. Um, he fights very, very limited. Um, he fights as if he's trying to knock you out. And it's not a bad style to have, but where the lightweight division is at right now, a lot of guys are using a lot more defensive strategies to end up hurting people. And uh, I think his style is just tailor-made to get knocked out. Um, I'm just going to keep it real. I don't think uh, William Zapata is as good as he says he is. Um I think the issue with him is that uh, he doesn't use his height and reach to the level of where he needs to be, and he doesn't use he doesn't use his punch placement like he should. And I think that's that's what's going to cost him when somebody that has high ring IQ and catches those mistakes that he ends up doing to to potentially knock him out. So. I don't know. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see where Zapata is because if he actually does end up becoming a world championship level fighter, it will be good. But the problem is, is like, at, at how much longer will he be able to keep up his style? Because I don't see his style really scaling high as a world titleist. Um, I think the the issue is is like he like he's he's like one of those come forward fighter Mexicans where you tell him one thing where he needs to start fixing up his defense and he has to do this, he has to do that, but he's not going to do it because it's like, you know, it's been working for him for such a long time and he acts like his power is just going to save him whenever he's losing a boxing match. And I don't think that's what's going to favor him any much longer because, like, you know, Zepeda's all offense. He has no defense. So what's going to end up end up saving Zapata is that he's going to have to start throwing punches and bunches. That's going to end up smothering his shots, and I think that's just going to cause him to get stopped. But either way, um, it's going to be interesting to see where he's at because uh, Zapata, um, he doesn't really have really any much more time left in his career of where he could be at lightweight because it looks like he, you know, he's actually struggling, you know, like you know, to make the weight, but. I don't know. You know what? Uh, we'll find out because if he is able to make lightweight, which I think he should just move up to 140, that's my whole take on it because he is a big guy and he has a lot of great athletic you know, ability at 140, and I think his body will take the shots perfectly fine. But um, uh, I just don't know about 135. I think 135 is too unpredictable to see where he's at. But uh, that's very much my thoughts on it. He had a very great performance, and he did his thing, man. You know, like, I'm proud of Zepeda. I actually thought he was going to lose to JoJo simply because JoJo, he carries out the more tougher experience. And even though that this is his third loss that he's had so far, um, it's not like he's a bad fighter. It's just that JoJo, he, you know, he needs to make those adjustments where 
he can't leave it to the judges and at least like dominate the fight and actually display more technical boxing ability where you can end up winning your fights. So I think Jojo Diaz, um, he can he can easily get back into the top 10 or top 15 discussion. But as far as world championship level fighting, he needs to make more better adjustments if he wants to see himself in there being a world champion once again, which I think Jojo, he's a very, very good fighter, very destructive southpaw. Not the greatest puncher of all southpaws, but he's a very technical southpaw that doesn't understand where he's at right now as a southpaw. Um, I think he's still on that path of continuing to keep getting better, but it's good that he's being matched up tough. You go from Devin Haney to a dangerous, undefeated, um, come forward puncher and William Zapata. I think these are great losses to have on your record because you're not, because you're not, you know, going backwards, you're going forward. So I think Zapata, you know, if he wasn't focused on this fight or he didn't come in discipline, I think we would have seen a Jojo Diaz victory already, but knowing that he wasn't able to get the job done, um, I think uh, Zapata was able to manage it out because um, Jojo, he wasn't able to figure out Zapata's, you know, style. And even though that Jojo, he struggled against other southpaws in the past, i.e. like a Shavakasan Rakimov fight, uh, the Rakimov guy gave him problems. Gary Russell gave him problems. Um, Javier Fortuna was like a little bit of a test, but I think the Gary Russell, the Tevin Farmer, like all these southpaws that he's been in there with, like like jo- Jojo, Jojo's very comfortable going up against you know southpaws, and it, it it's clearly shown that he he has a very good plethora of tough matchmaking, and I think this is a good, but this is like the right path of where Jojo needs to be. It's not like He's out of his prime. He he has a lot of like he has a lot of years left in him, and people don't realize that because they're like, oh no, Jojo, he's done, man. No, he's not done. He 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 has a great promising career, and the fact that he's in these wars with guys that people say that he should be blown out by, it's like he's not letting these guys knock him out. Like, you know, the Rakima fight, he should have won that fight, but if he actually was not coming in overweight and, and he actually had like a right mindset to beat him, you know, he actually would have won, you know, that fight. Same thing with the Zapata fight, but with the Devin Haney fight, he just wasn't able to get to have the success with Devin because Devin was able to suppress what Jojo was good at as a Southpaw, even though that Jojo, he, he did not use the right technical abilities as a Southpaw to beat Devin, but still, he, he actually presented some puzzle difficulties that Devin wasn't able to get past, where he came in with his left and he started tagging Devin with a very destructive jab to the body. But he should have brought that brought that pressure up more to the body instead of trying to headhunt with Devin. That's what made Devin comfortable to trade on the inside with JoJo, but he was still getting clipped with that left hook that JoJo was throwing. But if JoJo, if he was more successful landing those punches to the body to give Devin's Devin's arms tired, I think Devin would have definitely been dropped or he would have been hurt, to, to say the least, where JoJo, he would have given Devin a lot more tougher um, things to figure out in the ring because, you know, Devin, he tends to, he tends to have these, like, minor 
uh, setbacks when he fights southpaws where he doesn't come in discipline defensively. And he keeps getting hit without the same shot consistently over and over. But whenever it's against orthodox fighters, you know, he's on fire because Devin, he's comfortable fighting orthodox fighters. But whenever a southpaw meets an orthodox fighter, um, it's very rare in the sport, i.e. when southpaws meet other southpaws, they're not supposed to meet each other. Like a lot of southpaws are supposed to end up fighting orthodox fighters and maybe fight another southpaw if it is necessary. But either way, um, you know, that's why southpaws, they're either a very dangerous style matchup to be matched against an orthodox fighter or it's a very close matchup with another southpaw where you don't know where the outcome will be because southpaws have a have a high 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 level of understanding of what they're good at and what they're not good at but if you know that you have one southpaw that's not as good as the other southpaw then it's a very bad style matchup because of the other southpaw is going to come in there and dominate the other southpaw same thing with the orthodox fighter if they're able to beat a southpaw that's not really really good yet as a southpaw of course you should go in there and beat up that southpaw but that's why orthodox fighters they need to get the southpaw experience because if they don't get that experience they're going to get cooked and that's why when they say in boxing if you're going to fight a southpaw at least get like a little tune-up before you fight a southpaw so fight an orthodox guy and then fight a southpaw get your southpaw sparring in and then you'll be ready for you know the southpaw matchup but you know, nothing's guaranteed in boxing when you do fight a southpaw. All right, but either way, good victory. Uh, let's move forward with the Jake Paul card, and then we'll switch over to the Lomachenka, Lomachenka uh, card. Um, Jake Paul, ah, uh, man. I'm not going to talk about the main event, but I'll talk about the co-main, and then we'll talk about some other undercard fights. I already talked about, uh, you know, Shadeja. I'll talk about Jeremiah Milton. He had a very, very great knockout victory against uh, Quentin Sumter. Um, this was a very, very great fight simply because Milton, he looks like he's getting better from his victories. Uh, this is another good undefeated fighter that he had defeated. Um, not too sure about all the other opponents. He hasn't really fought like the best opposition. But um, this is a good fight. You know, this is a I think his first undefeated guy that he's now dethroned from his undefeated, you know, record. Actually, no, he defeated a two and zero guy, and then yeah, this guy. So this is the second undefeated fighter that he had now defeated. Officially seven and zero, twenty eight years old, six foot four, with the eighty inch arm reach. He has very very great vitals as a heavyweight um, orthodox fighter. Uh, they call him Dreamland. Um, He's out of that good old Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, i.e., uh, you know, Black America of the uh, Black Wall Street. Um, yeah, man, um, he he's a good fighter, but here's my issue with him. Um, it's a level of opposition right now, and I think uh, where he's at right now with Quentin, it's it's a good victory. Don't don't get it twisted. But we need to see him in there with a guy like Sonny Kanto. I think I think he would knock him out. I think Sonny would very like he could very well knock out J- Jeremiah. But I think he should go after him. I think he should he should knock on his door, take out his record. Honestly, I'm like 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 this may be a little bit crazy, but I'm down to see Jeremiah Milton versus Jared Big Baby Anderson. Why not? 
Jared Anderson's only a couple wins higher than him. He's 12 and 0, about to be 13 and 0 against some nobody that I haven't heard of. But it's like, why can't Jeremiah Milton be put into that mix? Because you mean to tell me, Big Baby Anderson, he's able to find all these Euro bum fighters that I've never heard of before. But it's like, why not give the black brother like Jeremiah Milton his opportunity? Oh, well, he's like, like he's going up against like another black brother, but we already know who this guy is. He's going up against uh, Jerry Forrest. <laughs> but still, it's like Jerry, Jerry Forrest, like he's a tough test. Don't like, don't get it twisted. But this is not helping him grow as a fighter. Jerry Forrest, this is like a guy that, you know, granted, he's fought great opposition. He, 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 he barely, he barely lost against uh, Jermaine Franklin, which, that's a very difficult fight to call because uh, I don't like. I had no clue who really won that fight, but it didn't look like he he had any like any means to be successful in that fight. But then on top of that, he got KO'd by Gerald Washington in two rounds. He lost to Michael Hunter in a clear eight like you know eight round unanimous decision loss. And then on top of that, um, you lose to Carlos Takam. And then you have a draw with Michael Hunter and Zelai Zhang. So you mean to tell me out of these two damn fights, like out of all these high marquee victory or high key, like, like seriously, this guy is basically a black version of who's that one journeyman um, in boxing? Well, I'm not like, I don't know. Like I could use Gabe Rosado, but it's like, you know, if you want to put him next to Christian Hammer, he's basically black version of Christian Hammer. He 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 he's a decent fighter, but he does not have the best resume because he like he should have beat all these guys. He should have he should have wiped out Kubrat Pulev. He should have beat up Michael Hunter. I think Michael Hunter was a much tougher fight than for what it had to be because Michael Hunter he you know definitely did not come into that fight. Um, how should I say, you know, respectfully, like, you know, educated. And I think that's why Michael Hunter looked really crappy in his fight against uh, Jerry Forrest. And I mean, if you guys go take a look at that fight, that's what made that, that fight look really difficult to score. But Zelly Zhang, he should have been stopped. Um, he barely, he barely won that fight. I don't know how he was able to force a draw. I think it was just due to the fact that from round one, two, and three, you lost three rounds. But then, oh, also Zhang, he also lost a point for holding in round nine. But Zhang, he got knocked down. I remember he, yeah, I remember Zhang, he got knocked down in one of the rounds. It was like a 10-8 round. Uh, yeah, Zhang, Zhang, Zhang definitely had a 10-8 round. I forgot what. Yeah, um, it was round nine. It was round nine. I remember round nine was a knockdown. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. I think, I think Zhang could have, could have definitely lost this fight, but, um, Jerry Forrest did not look like the guy that <laughs> he should have had any business of actually winning that fight. He, um, he should have arguably lost that fight, but that's just my whole take on that. Um, I don't know where he goes from, from there, but, um, I don't know who he's going to fight next because he just lost to Kubrat Pulev that was, you know, on that trailer card. But 
you know, I don't I don't know what he what he does with his career. But either way, uh, Jerry, Jerry Forrest is a decent fighter. But if he does get stopped by Jerry Big Baby Anderson, don't don't like you know don't be surprised, man. Because <laughs> I think Big Baby Anderson, he's gonna just run 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 right through him like a fucking you know full fledged train. And I think I think that's what's gonna end up happening. Um, you know what? I might be pushing it for Jeremiah, but I wouldn't mind seeing the fight between him and Andrew Tabidi. Because even though Tabidi, he's he's new in the heavyweight division, go after him, beat beat you know beat him up, or go after Michael Coffey. You know he could definitely knock him out. Uh, James Evans, that's a good fight. Uh, maybe Stephen Torres. Um, I would probably hold that fight off until you know he gets more wins under his belt. I know Stephen Torres could give him a very difficult fight, but go after him. You know Steve, Stephen Torres is you know he's a good fighter, but um, even though he hasn't stayed active as he should be, um, he definitely should be back on the winning stage very soon because he's been out the ring since uh, January, and it's going to be almost a year heading into that January draw with uh, James Evans, which he looked very good in, in his last fight against uh, Giovanni Bronzone. So, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. I think um, you know we're going to have to wait and see. But Lanier Piero, that's a good fight for uh, Jeremiah Milton. Go after him. Uh, Guido Villanello, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I, I heard, uh, well, I think um, I think Stefan Big Shot Shaw told me that they're going to try to line him up against uh, Guido. So it's going to be interesting to see where Guido is at because he fought back in October, back in Italy, uh, as of recently on October 28th. So... I guess we're going to wait and find out because even though he is signed with top rank, it's not like he can't get other fights. So I would just say go get a fight, you know, in between, you know, just to stay busy because you are your own boss controlling your career. But it's not like you have to be exclusive to like fighting on top rank. Like if you want to stay in the ring and just get busy and get money, I think you should just keep on staying active because that's not the problem with heavyweights. A lot of heavyweights don't want to stay active. So if they don't stay active, then they're going to end up waiting on the contract that that's going to be quote unquote marketable for them, for the promotional company that they're with. But it's like, that's not going to help them. You know, like um, you got to keep yourself active in between the weight. So that's just like my whole take on that. But, uh, yeah, Jeremiah Milton, he looked amazing. Quentin Sumter, he's not that good. I think he's trash. But, yeah, good victory. Um, you know, we'll keep moving forward. I was actually surprised that Uriah Hall defeated uh, Le'Veon Bell, but that was a good fight. He beat the living crap out of him. Same thing with Chris Avila uh, whipping on Dr. Mike, Mikhail Bar- uh, Varshavsky. Uh, that was a very <laughs> funny fight while it lasted. But then you had Danny Barrios. He beat, uh, he knocked out Edgar um, Edgar Ortiz. I was um, I was shocked. I was thinking Edgar Ortiz might knock him out, but not uh, Ortiz. He's a he's a young, hungry guy, and and Danny Danny whipped him. Uh, that that was a very very good fight, but good victory, man. You know he's eleven and zero, uh, and <laughs> that man that man's a problem at what at, at a one twenty two. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the 
co-main event, and then I'm going to be out of here. Oh, also, shout-out to Alejandro Santiago. He got his victory over Antonio Nieves. Uh, Nieves, I wasn't too surprised. Uh, he looked like he wasn't really wanting any more punishment, but his corner stopped it. Kind of felt weird, but either way, decent fight. That same thing with um, Ash itself. For those of you that don't know him, he's a very, very good fighter. Um, he's a fighter out of the California region. Had a very, very good fight against Braulio Rodriguez. He knocked him out in one round. Just dropped him with like a good-ass counter right hook to the face. And uh, yeah, man, he he's just like a he's like a flashy Sugar Ray Leonard with like a very smooth, um, you know, you know Ronald Ronald Winky Wright type of style. Very good fighter. Definitely watch out for him. He has a lot of power, and he's a very very deadly fighter, man. Um, I don't think a lot of people want to be inside of the ring with him. But once his name pops up, don't don't be telling me that no Keyshawn Davis can't can't fight him. Because I think, you know, Keyshawn Davis would get knocked the hell out by him. And I think he would knock out, um, I think he might knock out uh, Floyd Schofield. I think Floyd Schofield will meet his match with him one of these days. And I think he'll beat up on Abdullah Mason, uh, Miguel Contreras. Uh, he will beat the living fuck out of him. Um, there's just so many opposition that he has right in front of him. Just wanting to say that oh yeah man i'll knock this guy out nah man uh ashton silva is 18 years old and he's just getting started and i cannot wait until he gets back inside the ring because it's like he should have been back in the ring back in like august on that canceled jake paul bullshit card that should have been continued with the Hasim rachman situation but hey man october that's fine but i think uh where we're gonna see ashton He's probably going to be back and let the ring very soon. I think he should be put on, you know, other PBC cards. I'm definitely down for it. I think um, that should be let the, the next step for him. So that's just how I see it. Like, I just think that, you know, when we see him in his career, I just think that, you know, it, it like it like of like it just makes sense, you know. I mean, that's just me, though, but like, I don't know. I think um, where everything is at right now, um, he's in a good spot in his career. And I think Jake Paul's doing a very, very good job moving him. Because uh, even though it's not the fights that he wants, but he's definitely on the right path, similar to what Ryan Garcia is doing. But he's in control of his career. But, but it's not like he has to be headlining with Jake Paul. Because it's like, you know, Jake Paul is going to be back and let the ring like every, what, at least, like, I'd probably say, well, you know, he doesn't have to be doing much in the ring, but I'd probably say he'll be back and let the ring within, like, four to six months. But I don't I don't think Ashton needs to wait up on him. I think Ashton needs to just keep staying active because he's a young kid. So I would just say if I was in his shoes, just keep uh, keep on fighting. You know, he, he has a very great career. He has a great team behind him. So just keep getting fights just to stay active. But he's on the greatest track of his career right now. You are heavily promoted. You're getting money, and your team is backing you. So if I'm in your shoes, just keep on winning. That's all. Keep getting fights and just keep staying active. That's all. But 
Yeah, that's it with that card. I'm going to talk about the Lomachenko card. Then I'll get up out of here, guys. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the Vasily Lomachenko card. Um, I'm going to talk about the rookie, you know, rookie fights that were on the card. Um, Haven Brady Jr. versus Eric Mondragon. Uh, I was kind of surprised that this fight actually went the distance. I thought Haven was going to actually put up a good, good fight to stop him, but either way, uh, you know, um, his opponent was very, very tough, so it's not like he was a bum. He came into the fight very um, hungry, but uh, I think what was the problem with this opponent was that he wasn't using his uh, his height over Haven. I thought he looked to be like a more taller fighter, but Haven... He was able to get his rhythm going, but he just got outclassed in certain exchanges because he was overextending his punches that made him look uh, very unsuccessful in certain trades. So I wasn't too surprised with that. I think Haven looked really, really shaky, and he looked like the type of guy where he he should have taken his time. And even though he was with like a new trainer with uh, Bozy Ennis, uh, that's a uh, Jerron Ennis's father. Um, you know that's going to take time. So I don't, you know, I don't blame Haven. I think Haven, he understands where he needs to be with his career. So um, I don't know why Haven would decide to switch trainers. I think his original trainer was perfectly fine. But um, yeah, I guess we'll find out in the next fight to see if he's gonna actually scale harder with, uh, like, you know, Jerron Ennis's father. Um, I don't think it was necessary just simply due to the fact that there's plenty of great coaches down where he's at in Georgia. But for him to reach out to Jerron Ennis's father and Bozy Ennis, I think that's a good move. Um, you know, we just have to see more progression. That's all. Uh, Abdullah Mason versus Angel Barrera. Um, I thought this fight should have been um, should have been stopped sooner when Mason was able to drop him. Um, he has a lot of power, but I think we have to start questioning his opponents. Um, now, top, top rank is finding these young guys that are undefeated, but it's like, what are they doing in these undefeated battles that they have that are, or like, like what are their undefeated records show as a fighter that makes them look valuable to say like, oh yeah, this guy can beat Abdullah Mason, or he could he could put up a, a way better challenge, you know, compared to his last fight. And I think the thing is, is that Abdullah, he's he's being matched up with you know opposition that we already know that's not gonna that's not gonna put up a really uh, you know competitive chance with them. But it's not like you know these opponents are garbage. It's just that when you look at their level of opposition that they're facing, you know, they're facing mediocre competition. Um, Abdullah, he's a good fighter. Don't get it twisted. I think a lot of people are putting a little bit too much high stakes on him, but I think we're going to find out as he gets older. Um, he should have been dropped. He should have been counted for like a knockdown when he got dropped by uh, Angel Barrera. So that's something that I was a little bit, you know, upset on. I think Angel Barrera should have dropped him, or he should have gotten he should have gotten the knockdown. So um, now it's making me think: uh, Does he does he have a good chin? And uh, 
that might be something that we have to watch out for because if he doesn't have a good chin, then it's definitely not going to be a good good career for him. But he's young, and I think it was just like a flash knockdown. So, like you know, um, we're going to find out, you know, as uh, time goes time goes by. But good victory, keep moving on. Uh, Troy Isley versus Quincy Lavalle. Um, this is a very good performance by Troy Isley. I thought he did a lot better compared to his last fight. Um, well, obviously in his last fight, I believe he stopped Dante Stubbs. No, he, yeah, he had his last fight with, uh, Victor Tony, but still good performance. Good job. Keep on growing. Um, Quincy definitely came to fight and he definitely gave Troy a lot of problems that I thought that should have been, you know, a little bit more in Quincy's favor to win the rounds. But yeah, I think Quincy, he's still game in the middleweight division. He's not a bum. Um, he's a good-ass fighter, and he's incredibly young to keep racking up more wins, and I think his career is going to scale. Um, but, yeah, moving forward, we had Tiger Johnson against uh, Esteban Garcia. Uh, Tiger Johnson, eh, he's okay. I mean, Delante looked very good in his last fight against Harry, Harry Gigliotti, but I think the issue with that fight was that Harry... He doesn't possess any power in his punches, or he'd never possess any defensive IQ in his fights to make him competitive in the fight with Delante. So Delante was able to stop him simply due to the fact that Harry was hittable to the point where he wasn't being defensively responsible. So that was the only reason why Delante was able to do what he was supposed to do. So, so IE styles make fights. But good performance. I want to see Delonte back in the ring soon so we can see more vaster improvements in his performance. Um, now, with this next fight with Nico Ali Walsh, um, I wasn't so surprised with this fight. Billy Wagner should have been knocked the hell out. But Nico, he almost got dropped in this fight. And Billy, credit to Billy, he, um, he, um, he definitely has a puncher's chance to hurt somebody in any fight but he's just not at any level to be like good yet because it's like if he was good he he definitely would be up there but he just hasn't really put himself in good position to be good he obviously got stopped by javier martinez and then you know he lost to alexis espino and then i forgot the other guy that he lost to um oh yeah yeah, yeah. um it was uh now you know Nico Ali Walsh. So, you know, he's five and three. I mean, if he was good, he actually would be eight and oh, like right now, because he, he, he has a great punch. He, he knows how to, he knows how to knock somebody out. He, he, he has deadly power, but it's just like, you know, it's just how he sets up with the power. If he was able to set up his power shots with proper ring IQ and proper punch placement, you know, he, you know, he would be, rolling through you know everybody but it's just not the case because it's like you know fighters that come in with limited experience that doesn't that don't think in their fights to be successful that's just going to cost them in his fights to be unsuccessful but he did have success against nico and i'm definitely proud of fighters like that that have good success but i think where he's at right now he just needs like a better training regiment to have him be a bigger threat for what he is. He's 29 years old. you got plenty of good years ahead of you. And uh, I don't know where he's going to be within due time, but 
I'd like to see him back. You know, Billy Wagner, he's either there to get stopped or he's there to put on a good show where he could potentially stop you. So he definitely has a puncher's chance to change a fight. But if you added in boxing fundamentals, I'm pretty sure the boxing gods would definitely make this guy a much bigger threat. But he's definitely on the high horse of just keeping keeping his skill sets to keep getting better. But yeah, let's move forward without the rest of these fights, and then I'm going to end it. Um, Duke Reagan versus Luis LeBron. Uh, man, oh, I actually thought Luis LeBron he uh, gave this fight up really, really bad. Um, just simply because uh, he wasn't coming into this fight thinking Duke Reagan wasn't going to throw something heavy back at him, and uh, LeBron had multiple opportunities to stop Reagan. But I think he just didn't press on the gas well enough because whenever he was hurting him, he just kind of threw a flurry of punches, but he wasn't being serious in the attempt to actually hurt him and try to stop him. So that was something that I was a little bit concerned about. And just the fact that he just plants his feet down to try to like load up on a shot on Reagan, where that was predictable for Reagan to like figure that out. But um, yeah, man. I think I think LeBron he you know he blew that opportunity to get the victory. So I don't know what he was planning on doing. Um, I think it was just in the moment that he was already hurt, so he wasn't able to think as good as he wanted to. But if he did, he definitely would have hurt. You know, Reagan to the point where he could have stopped him. Um, Reagan, I don't think he has any power. Um, I think his power is non-existent. Yeah. He's at that level in his career where he's just not being put him. He's not putting himself in a proper position to be successful. And that's just something where, you know, we can't see anything good out of him because it's just where he's scaling as a fighter. Um, but that's pretty much how I see it with him. Um, he lacks power, but he knows how to box very well. It's just that when you don't have power to keep somebody off of you, and they're able to ram and sh- they're they're able to ram their pressure onto you, where you end up falling to the pressure. Then I think that's where Reagan's going to lose in his fights in the future because he doesn't have you know the power to keep somebody off of them that has a lot more size and, and a lot more destructive pressure pressure themselves to break a guy like Reagan. So that's just how I see it. I think Reagan has a lot of climbing to do. But on top of that, I think that's what Top Rain's doing. They're just keeping it slow with him, but they're not giving him easy touches. They're giving him heavy-loaded opposition that's ready to get the call to try to knock him out. So... I respect that. 126 is loaded, so um, he doesn't need to rush it. He just needs to keep on getting better, that's all. So, yeah. Uh, as far as the other fights that had went on with, uh, you know, Richard Torres and that other guy, I forgot his name. Oh, yeah, his name was, uh, you know, um, Ahmad Hefni. Uh, Richard Torres just beat the living crap out of him. Um, it was a good fight. Uh, don't get it twisted, but 
that that Hefty guy shouldn't have been in the ring with Richie. Uh, I think Richie clearly shows to the heavyweight division that he's able to stop everybody he's been in there with, if not, you know, almost everybody. So, you know, Richie got power, but I don't think his power scales at the high level. I think when you have somebody that boxes with him, I think he loses really bad. So that's pretty much how I see it. Um, Torres has a good punch. He has a puncher's chance to hurt somebody. But I just don't see his career scaling to the level of which I can respect. So I I think we just need to see more progression. That's all. But, yeah, Torres did a decent job. I mean, not the greatest performance compared to his last fight. But that's just pretty much how I see it. Yeah. Uh, now let's you know let's move on with what the main event or the co-main event. Um, we had Robisi Ramirez versus Juan or Jose Matias, you know Romero. But either way, uh, I thought Robisi did a good job. He stopped him. You know he uh, made this guy quit mentally and physically. So he did a very very good job. And uh, the knockdown definitely was very interesting. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, that, you know, that's it for Robesi. I think he's next in line to get the title for the, for the, for the WBO because Navarrete decided to vacate it, or he is about to vacate it uh, for, the, for the WBA 130-pound title. So um, I don't know, man. I think, I think that's where, you know, people – you know, understand where things are, you know, where things are uh, going. And um, I think, uh, you know, where either fighter is right now, uh, there's just too much um, discrepancy of, like, where fighters want to move their careers. But either way, uh, you know, congratulations to both of them. And, uh, you know, look for more. Um, let's talk about the heavyweight division. Um, you know, the heavyweight division is not that smart in, you know, having some people that talk, talk, you know, talk down, like, you know, with you, you know, for the sake of actually being, um, uh, like, actually being, being with somebody that, you know, that can't can't really give you the solution. But they gave you the solution. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. But. Yeah, so. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. Like, I just had, like, a little bit of a brain fart. But, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Uh, credit to um, uh, Baba, uh, Rebecca Ramirez. He had a good fight. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we get to see more of them. And he can get he can get with the title shot opportunity sooner than later. But, yeah, let's move on with the last fight, and then I'm going to get up out of here. Uh, we have Vasil Lomachenko against uh, Jermaine Ortiz. Um, I thought Ortiz won this fight. I didn't think Lomachenko really won 
you know, that many rounds to get the victory. But uh, Jermaine Ortiz definitely looked to be the more uh, sharper fighter. He looked to have more pop in his punches to actually push Lomachenko back. And uh, Lomachenko, he got obliterated uh, to the point where he just wasn't able to figure out Jermaine properly. Uh, yeah, um, in the late game, he was able to hurt him. But I think that was just simply due to the fact that in the late game, he was only able to hurt him for the sake of keeping Jermaine at bay. But then once it came to a point where he wasn't able to hurt, um, you know, Jermaine anymore, uh, I think that's where Jermaine was in cruise control. And he did um, he did what he had to do to be successful. So um, either way, uh, credit to Jermaine. Keep, keep your head up. Um, I think Jermaine has a lot of scaling left in the tank. And um, I'd like to see him back in the ring uh, sooner than later. I think 140 is going to be his next shining move. I think 140, he could beat a lot of those guys up there. Um, his toughest test will definitely be uh, guys like Gary Antoine Russell, Subria Matias, uh, Regis Program, um, and uh, I don't know. Like I guess Jose Ramirez, but I don't. I don't see those guys ever facing him. I think um, he could beat Barbosa. Um, he could beat Sandor Martin. He could definitely beat Teofimo's ass. That that'll be an easy fight. And uh, Alberto Coelho, I think that'll be a tough fight. So you know um, that's going to be you know very interesting to see where he's at in his next fight. So definitely need to see where he's going to be in the next uh, future of his fight. So. Yeah, man, that's pretty much it. Sorry that I dozed off for a bit. I was getting, like, a little bit tired psychologically. So, all right, guys, I'll see you guys later. Be sure to like, rate, comment, and subscribe. Do do, do what you got to do. And I will see you guys later. Thank you guys for, uh, you know, keeping keeping in touch in the uh, background. So, yeah, I will uh, see you guys later. And, uh, yeah, peace out. Thank you very much, guys. Bye.